All right. Hey. Hi, Reagan. How are Hi, you? Hi, Jenty. Um, I. Um, so I keep having this experience when people ask me that question, where I feel like I'm instantly registering seven different strata of my life at once and being like, which one do we mean? Where, what are we talking about? What's going on? Uh, so I'm going to answer that in this actual moment, I feel pretty mellow and pretty all right. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can hear something in your background. Yeah. Um, the neighbor children have, um, appeared upon the front porch that is right outside the window um so it's so lovely and (laughs) yeah um I don't know what they're doing so that's some so I do feel that that is uh an improvement upon background beeping which is the beeping gone the beeping has ceased (gasps) the the magician who needs to be scheduled to come to your house to relieve you of the beeping has come and the beeping is gone. All right. Yeah. Um, how are you? Good. I'm pretty tired. I had a long day yeah. at work. Um, but I squeezed in a yoga class up over my lunch break, which was kind of good. Like I had a six hour training and so an hour for lunch. And so, bet- you know, bunch of computer stuff, went and did yoga kind of rushed you know over there and changed and then rushed back was late to the second session ate during it because I hadn't eaten during my lunch but I'm glad I did it because yeah it was a really good class even just an hour over lunch it was it's good to take that break yeah um uh as you were just using the word rushed I was remembering during my yoga teacher training Uh, which was in San Francisco, but at the time I lived in Oakland, and the teacher training was um, designed, it was on the weekend, so it was designed for people who worked. So it was all day on Saturday and Sunday, and I had mistimed my drive, and so I was stuck in traffic on the Bay Bridge, feeling very agitated and frustrated and displeased with all of the... um, other people on the road and with myself and all this stuff. And then I just absolutely had the, um, you know, flash of self-awareness of like being in that state in order to get to, um, my yoga studio. Right. All right, I'm going to get to yoga and like relax. Yeah. Jesus. And that like, you know, and some of that, um, you know, some of that stress, I mean, tr- traffic is shitty uh and some of that stress does come from like my desire to be on time and my desire to respect the practice and my desire to respect uh my commitment to the teacher training etc etc but once I'm actually in the traffic increasing my agitation really doesn't make the traffic change at all and so um so it's it's one of those things I I remember so vividly and I've also referenced over and over as uh that that um that way that your yoga practice then influences your life then your life sort of is like always on your mat with you and 
I was sort of joked with my students because we would sit in, uh, oh gosh, uh, the Westerners call it chair pose, and um, my my current head injury is causing me to forget the Sanskrit for it. Um, I'm actually going to look it up, but I know that the um, the Sanskrit translation for chair pose uh, is fierce pose. Oh, cool. Um, which I feel like, uh, um, or a thunderbolt pose, it says here. Um, I had no idea. I just right. thought it was chair in yeah. Sanskrit. <laughs> or seat yeah. or whatever. Utkatasana, there it is. It's it's one that's so familiar, but I wasn't remembering it. Um, and so I'm always like, that pose does not feel like you're sitting in a chair. Like, at all. Like, it is just a, mal- or a misnomer. It's a misnomer uh, to call it chair pose because it has, it does not at all feel like sitting in a chair. But when whoever had translated it to fierce pose to me, I really thought through, like, right, like, that quality does feel more uh, relevant. Like, if I can cultivate that quality of a very steady, um, composed fierceness, that, because that pose is uncomfortable. I've heard it called awkward pose. Is that a thing, or is that just a stupid thing? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or is there another pose that people call awkward pose? Like, I swear to God, yeah. I've had different teachers say awkward pose, but maybe yeah. there's a different one. I, that- you know, and this is something that my, that Tony is always grumpy about, about this use of um, non-Sanskrit terms mm. rather than the original Sanskrit, because both sometimes the translations get skewed, but also... Uh, different people translate the poses differently. So what some people call bridge, other people call bow, or, you know, and different teachers put their spin on the naming of the poses because they're kind of trying to brand it. Um, so it may also be called awkward pose. Um, uh, wait, I'm going to I'm gonna try and rein my story in just because I'm so prone to tangent. Um, so with, with Utkatasana, I will honor Tony by calling it the in Sanskrit. Uh, I would often with my students reference how I feel in traffic, which is, you know, you are sitting in a chair mm. position in traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I would sort of know that yoga was legit if I could get over the Bay Bridge in traffic <laughs> without like getting into an agitated state (laughs) like that would be the proof (laughs) you know in some way or just you know and that that was kind of always my register for it and that the practice of being in Utkatasana in class and seeing if you can be both calm and fierce while you're in a position that makes you maybe want to scream is then a, a like it is like literally good practice for when you're in positions in your life that that create that state, right? Because it's sort of more, uh, sort of more valuable in some sense off the mat, <laughs> like yes. than it is like if you're just standing in class. But in class, it's also uh, 
it's also nice when you can get calm definitely so i just realized today's kind of i guess supposed not not significant but weird so it's the 27th of july uh-huh. which would have been my third wedding anniversary to let's just say a sociopath um <laughs> wow so i'm pretty glad that I'm not married to that person. I but too. <laughs> we never actually had a one-year anniversary because of crazy shit he did. But cra- like, I'm good. Like, usually, I mean, after my dad died, like, you know, that was like it'll be 11 years this year. Like, I every I had to take the 27th of December, 28th, I should say, 28th of December, 27th is my sister's birthday. Um, I have to take that period between Christmas and New Year's off because I would just go mental because of this anniversary date. And one, I don't even remember what I was doing last year, which would have been the second anniversary. So that's a good sign. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, 727. That would have that that was a date that should have, you know, or on one life trajectory trajectory would have been a significant date and was chosen for I don't know the rhythm of 727 but how crazy and that was other than that the most recent time that we met up in California that was the last time I saw you (laughs) as my bridesmaid Uh (laughs) um so I don't know that's kind of weird and I just wanted to acknowledge it doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about because, you know, I've just started this yoga practice this month, like really trying to do it every, well, I say every day as much as possible. Yeah. Several times a week. (laughs) But, um, weird. I don't know. I don't know how you're supposed to feel with stuff like that. No, I mean, what I was going to say in the way that, I, this is the, the part of my brain that's a writer. Is like, <laughs> here's how we will make it relevant to this podcast. <laughs> I, will, yes. I will form this link. Um, but I think that self-awareness part, right, and that ability to track a shift in mm. yourself mm-hmm. is a, a relevant part of, um, you know, whether it's specifically the yoga practice or sort of like, more expansively a practice of self-awareness and self-knowledge and and potentially transformation that word (laughs) that word well I don't know what we'll do with it but (laughs) it's sometimes useful sometimes uncomfortable uh so like being able to notice that that's like some you know parallel version of yourself this day could have been triggering, but you mm-hmm. can track that work that you've been doing with yourself, whether it is in particular your yoga practice or other forms of self-care, yeah. have gotten you to a place where today is the day where you're pretty busy, you did some yoga, and then you recorded a podcast with your friends. Yeah. And, so cool. Yeah. Um, and that becomes like a mile marker for you that then you know in the future you're able to see what what comes next like as this as these shifts happen 
Yeah. Uh, um, did anything interesting happen in your yoga class? Um, the, you know, the teacher talked a lot about being in the present, you know, a great yoga theme, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and breath. It was a Hatha yoga class, so... Um, you know, we stayed in the poses a little bit longer and a bit more sort of strenuousy stuff, not as flowy, just holding poses. And, um, you know, at the beginning she was talking about like being in the present and that she's about to go back into a situation where a lot of past will come up. Like, I, I guess it's like some kind of reunion for like a an academic thing she once did. And so there's like ex-boyfriends, a different time of life. Um, So she's been thinking about that a lot, like being in the past and then um, having to remind herself to be in the present. She was grateful that she was teaching yoga all day because, you know, it has to bring her back to the present. And it's funny, this is just at the university gym, you know, where I work. And this particular teacher sometimes I've found her kind of annoying because she's the one, she's one of those teachers that talks constantly throughout class, mm-hmm. um, which can sometimes be a distraction, but I love what she talks about at the same time. Um, and the, I've only sort of happened to stump. It's not like I go to it thinking, Oh, it's that person. And it's just like, Oh, I've got a free lunch break. I'm going to go. Um, so, but several times she's talked about things that are definitely directly impacting my life too. Like I could get stuck in the past. This day is ex- would have been a significant one three years ago. You know, something that I thought was going to be the happiest, you know, beginning of my life was actually, you know, not. And so it was just interesting that I felt that, oh yeah, you're totally talking to me mm-hmm. and I'm totally taking that like present thing. And, you know, she always wants you to set an intention, which I find nice at the beginning of a class. And I was just like, I love myself. I'm oh, enough. I love oh, myself. Oh, <laughs> and so it was I just so good. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, it that was good. But the other thing is, is that like, I'm totally in the middle of my period and it sucks and I hate doing yoga and I don't want to do yoga on my period you know this is is it a thing like I swear to god I've heard this before where like you're not supposed to do inversions when you're on your period is that like a thing they teach you in yoga teacher training or is that one of those like Um, old wives (laughs) no there's there are definitely perspectives Mm. that use that paradigm Mm. about not doing inversions when you're on your period. Mm. Um, And then there are other perspectives that do not. Um, My teacher, and he is a man. He does not have, he is like a cisgendered man. So he has never had a menstrual cycle. Right. Uh, when that com- when that question came up in conversation, and I don't know if it was in our teacher training or if it was in 
one of his advanced classes where we were also like many of the students in the class were from the teacher training and those classes often paused for discussion as needed. So I can't remember in which context this was in. Um, and from his perspective, he works a lot with these, um, these conceptions of like the subtle body and the energy body. Mm -hmm. And so he was saying, you know, like when, uh, when one who menstruates is menstruating, there's a downward energy of that flow. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that an inversion would be to be working against that energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was like, you know, sometimes we do that. We purposefully work against an energy to, you know, wring something out or to change a direction or to flush or, you know, various forms of so hard to talk about, um, like energy without metaphor, right? You know, you're mm -hmm. always sort of like, what are we doing with it? Okay, we're directing it in X ways or Y ways. And he was like, he was like, I see no reason to alter the direction of what is happening with menstruation. Like, I would think that doing things that encourage the like natural direction of what is happening when like someone is menstruating would be in the service of that body. Mm. So he wasn't like hard and fast rules or if you do an inversion when you're menstruating, you're a witch, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Like, your wandering womb is yeah. going to fall into your brain. <laughs> yeah. So it was not, and he was, you know, and I mean, like bless his heart in terms of like the position of being like the man of authority in that room and stating uh like a lineage both like a lineage position and then also his perspective on why he didn't feel the need to like really fight with that suggestion necessarily you know but he wasn't mm -hmm. like he was like try it with your own body and see what happens <laughs> do you know what i mean like he was like if if inversions feel fine for you when you're menstruating or they don't seem to alter your experience one way or the other then they may not be a factor yeah yeah um so he's i mean you know no one's infallible right but he's he's my reference for a lot and i really trust him mm -hmm. um and i i also i mean you know women get told that they can't do things a fucking lot yeah. Right? Just so fucking much. And women get told that they can't do things because of their wandering wombs and their erratic emotions and their sensitivity and all of that fucking shit. Like, that is so beyond pervasive. It is what makes me want to puke. Right? Yeah. So all of that is true. I also, I think, like, my, my own personal perspective is... Like, and still I feel if I am in a yoga class and I am menstruating, I don't necessarily feel the need to do an inversion to like, like in some sort of girl power kind of right. way. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And like, if someone else, if that's someone else's experience or they feel that that is like, that is somehow like a defiant, empowering choice, like, 
I like more power to him. <laughs> like I, I sort of feel that like for me, like the guidance of maybe being a bit more restful during menstruation in terms of a yoga practice. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't necessarily feel oppressive <laughs> to me. Right. Yeah. And that's totally fine by me cuz I just really was like my ankles were all kind of swollen like I get I got like the copper IUD I'm like flowing 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 blood and I'm just more worried about the person behind me when I'm doing downward dog (laughs) if I'm like bleeding everywhere but um yeah so it was already like I'm I'm glad I had that more emotional experience because I really didn't I wasn't able to follow through in a lot of the poses just because, man, my ankles and my feet hurt mm. so much. Yeah. Um, like in all the like warrior poses, I barely hold them. And but yeah, but of course it was good that I went and you know I just did take it easy and did the child's pose and the like laying on my back with my like knees bent. It was just like oh thank god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah my horrible cramps but um yeah so that's that's did you do a yoga class today or in the last couple days um I I did not go to a yoga class today I had thought that I was going to um this new headache medication that Mm -hmm. I've been on um that I am now going to stop I think I stopped yesterday, but I'm still having, I'm still kind of getting it out of my system. Uh, has had a lot of really negative side effects, um, but one of the side effects has been that it's completely eliminated my appetite. Mm. And I realized that I had not eaten enough to safely go do a yoga practice in the studio that I normally go to. Um, So I did not do um, a a class at a studio, but I did do a home practice today. Um, And I, my big thing that I am excited to talk about is uh, how, uh, (laughs) such a, what a weird word I'm about to say, uh, how sort of enthusiastic Mm. I am getting about, uh, this subject of, um, trauma, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, uh, which I want to be careful about. I don't, I, I'm, I don't want to be, I don't want to default to getting scholarly about it because it is actually something that I'm working with personally and somatically um so I'm trying to work with it both as a intellectual subject I'm very curious about and to be working with it in my body uh so I got um several books um that are all um by this man Peter Levine who is a trauma specialist and um and then I also bought a book about um trauma-informed yoga And so in my home practice today, I was really trying to keep my attention on 
like the like real like deep body experience mm-hmm. of my practice um and the the most like particular or acute moment that comes to mind was the the practice that I was using as a guideline had um ustrasana I think which is camel pose Mm. Um, part of this podcast is going to be me relearning the Sanskrit names. Mm, me it's gonna, too, or yeah, learning yeah. them. <laughs> it's going to be part of my uh, post-concussive recovery of learning, relearning the podcast, or podcast names, the Sanskrit <laughs> names. Uh, Ooh, we should do podcast names. Yeah, yes, those two. <laughs> um, um, so I believe it's called Ustrasana, which translates to camel pose, and it's a pose that I am physically capable of going, quote, like, all the way into. I have the strength and flexibility to do that. Uh, but because I was bringing this really subtle awareness to how I was moving and what was happening, I realized it's, it's a back bend. Um, and I realized as I was leaning back, this kind of catch in my throat. And rather than move past that into the full expression of the pose, I just thought, okay, I'm going to stay there. Hmm. Like, I'm just going to stay where that, like, hitch and that, like, kind of feeling, you know, it was was similar to the feeling of, like, when you gasp in fear, even though I didn't quite gasp. Hmm. But it's that same kind of quality in my throat. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to, like stay right there and breathe there um and there were three rounds of that pose in the practice and that was as far as i got each time and um even as uh you know as much as i have as much as i've let go of my ego and my yoga practice shoulder brush um sarcastic shoulder brush um I I was really aware of how maybe how unconsciously I've allowed myself to push through sensation to get to like achievement hmm. of some kind. Um, and that like in the past that I don't think I've ever, I mean, I'm sure I've, endangered myself slightly or I've like risked injury or whatnot um but I think in this particular moment where I'm trying to um like where my primary focus is this reintegration and this releasing of trauma that that is in the disservice of what I'm trying to do and and so these these gestures that I maybe could physically make happen are probably less significant or less important than this awareness of where these internal sensations arise, like where does fear arise or where Mm -hmm. these other um, qualities arise. And rather than move past them or push them, what happens if I remain there with a type of like, you know, gentle, um, like 
it's not even, I mean, it's sort of curiosity, but just like a sort of gentle, like witnessing mm-hmm. of it. Um, so that was, that was the thing that happened in my practice today. And we did in that practice, um, was pigeon pose. Mm-hmm. Ekapada. Oh, darn it. Um, it's like three words. I looked yeah. it up and I was <laughs> like, what? Yeah, I'm going to look it up right now, though. So there was no pigeon pose in my practice today. And I realized that because my dad taught Hatha yoga. Yeah, it's I don't know this as a fact. I'm just saying that he didn't ever really teach pigeon pose. And I notice it a lot in like vinyasa classes or restorative yoga classes. Not saying that that's more you know prevalent but um i wonder if that's a thing oh hi mabel my pug woke up and she's barking at something or woofing at something hi mabel Mabel. all right raja kapotasana is uh the one-legged pigeon pose one-legged king pigeon pose right what we usually think of when I'm doing pigeon pose in like a yoga class, usually you've got one leg straight out behind you and then the other leg is bent in front of you at an angle. But I think like the king pigeon poses when your back leg is bent up like from the knee and you're kind of reaching back and grabbing your foot. I think that's like the ultimate, the ultimate pose. (laughs) Is that correct? Or yeah. And with that, yeah, that's, I think, the king pigeon and then kapotasana which is that this pigeon pose is actually like a very deep back bend on your knees so it's like mm. um you're you're on your knees and you're all the way in a back bend and like your head is touching your feet and your hands are on your feet um so uh that is a different uh pigeon pose that is the um, like not a one-legged pigeon pose. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think the pose that we were both conceiving of was this version where you have one leg bent in front of you and you have one leg extended back behind you. Right. 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 Yeah. And it's kind of like a stretch, like a sort of like a runner's stretch, except your, your front leg thigh is is on the ground yeah and it's like stretching your hip flexors yeah and making me cry (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I didn't have it in in the yoga class I did so I came home and sort of did a little bit of it um it's a pose that I hate probably because it is similar to the runner pose Mm -hmm. and it just feels I don't know. I guess sometimes it feels like yoga, but it also just, I mean, yoga obviously is stretching. Don't get me wrong. But it's also one of those ones that you do in like PE or gym class or whatever, right? You're like, these are the stretches you have to do before running. And, you know, and it just, I don't know. I I always have that like mental resistance to it um, Mm. because it doesn't feel as like elegant and yogic and spiritual. (laughs) It just feels like you're stretching the fuck out of your hips um and I'm just I don't know like I said like uh, my dad never really taught it it's like a relatively new thing in terms of yoga for me um so 
and and as I was reading about it, because that was the pose we're choosing for the the podcast, there was a few sort of articles about how maybe there's too much emphasis on like that stretch and hip openers in in a lot of like hardcore like Western yoga practices, and that we could be overextending our hips and that can be a problem yeah I don't think I have that problem (laughs) I'm definitely not overextending and I do need some hip openers because I'm super um tight in my hips but um you know I I think that the article I was reading cautioned against like just doing it as this like deep stretch that like fucks you up and makes you think yeah. like you're de- kind of what you were saying before. Like if you are feeling that, like feeling the burn, you're suddenly like pushing past like your limits and yeah, you got to work out, but are you doing the yogic practice of like sitting at your sitting almost where it's just a little bit uncomfortable. You could probably go further, but you don't need to go further because you'll actually learn more sitting in you know, right at the sort of middle ground of it. Right. Um, and I think as well, the the question of protecting the joints is super uh, significant, right? So mm-hmm. there's ways I think that if someone thinks that getting a certain type of sensation in their hips is their ambition or the aspiration of pigeon pose. They can be compromising their like SI joint um, at the like base of their spine and the top of mm. their pelvis. Um, they can be compromising like some of their knee joint, the knee joint in the back leg that's extended. They can be compromising like. Um, one of like one side of the hip for the other side in a way that can lead to greater like imbalances and mm-hmm. instabilities and so um i think sometimes there's a bit of a like a craving for a specific type of sensation mm-hmm. and also a craving for maybe a specific type of depth and thinking that being able to lay your face on the floor is somehow like the greatest achievement in the universe. Um, But if you're doing that, but one of your hips is hiked up way higher than the other and you're crimping uh, like one side of your vertebra and your knee joint is splayed out to the side, whatever benefit can happen from whatever you think you're getting maybe, Mm from getting your head on the floor is really um, out like weighed by all of these other things that are happening like at the back of your pose that are like being neglected by this ambition to lay flat, you know? So I think sometimes it's uh, that people are encouraged to go quote unquote like farther without going carefully farther. Yeah, I I realized today the teacher who talks a lot, she is also talking about really like adjusting positions. Like she'll explain, like, for example, if we were to do pigeon pose and to like make sure your hips are square and, you know, look back and make sure your like back leg is, 
you know, rotated more inward. It's not like splaying outward, like that knee is down, kind of like if you were doing a proper split. And, um, you know, you're not supposed to feel it in your knee. You're so it's only supposed to be that like side of your hip flexor there. And so, yeah, I read all about that today. And then, so when I came home and did it, it was like, cause pigeon pose is the other one where I'm always like, Oh, I can't even lean forward that much in it. But I think it's also cause I was really doing it wrong. And I was focusing on turning my forward knee outwards so much and like almost like sinking into it I'm glad my body didn't let me go forward. <laughs> yeah I'm glad too <laughs> but so today I really concentrated on like sitting up sitting into my hips and having both hips facing forward even though one was you know slight the front one was slightly turned out and bent um and just from that position I was already like, I, you know, I wasn't able to put my face on the floor by any means, but I was like, oh, I can rest my arms on the ground in front of me. And if I had like a block or something, I could put my head down onto it. And so just, I, I feel like, you know, really understanding the poses in terms of the alignment rather than feeling the burn or go as deep and far as you can go um, is what I'm going to start looking for in like the yoga teachers that I, I go to because, you know, I, I will always, you know, want to fight with myself and try and look like I know what the hell I'm doing. And that usually means doing it totally wrong (laughs) (laughs) because you're actually not supposed to look like everybody else in the room. You're supposed to just feel correct as your body lets you. Yeah, and you don't know what's going on in the other person's body mm-hmm. slash their whole life. Yes. Like you just like really don't know, yeah. you know, and you don't know what they're working through or on or what their ego is doing or what their, like, you know, what their teachers have told them that might be correct or incorrect that they're working out in their poses, you know. So mm-hmm. it's really not like it's not a measurement because you know. My, you know, Tony, again, will always be like, you can't look at the person next to you and wish you had their hamstrings. He was like, their hamstrings come with their whole life. <laughs> he was like, and so oh, you, you, you just got to, he's like, you'd have to take their whole life with everything that comes with it. And he's like, trust me, you don't want their whole life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every time you want yours, you know. So did you find yourself, you were, we were talking last week about how, you'd been having like pretty crazy crying during pigeon pose in this class that you'd been doing. Did you find that today or was it like a different sensation? Um, I did. I did cry a little bit. Um, I, I think because of the context being so different and this quality of attention being so different, um, I did have, emotions come up um but I and I did I did cry a little bit but I was also so I'm not I don't want to rush through that I did cry a little bit that is true (laughs) um I was also really attuned to um what I'm at this very nascent stage of understanding through um reading these books by Peter Levine um 
about this uh, like trembling quality in um, in my pelvis in particular that um, in in his like research that that is part of the body's way of releasing the like locked energy of traumas um, mm. and so I was really aware of just some of the beginning stages of that starting to happen. And it was in a few poses. It was in some of the more standing um, Virabhadrasana poses, the warrior poses, and then also in pigeon pose and then a wide-legged forward fold. And I was going so gently and carefully and noticing it. And because of these books, just feeling um, like a real tenderness and gratitude that my body might have the capacity within itself to release trauma. Um, so I'll cry now. I didn't cry that much in pigeon pose, but I'll just I'll just cry right now. <laughs> um, so um, in in those poses and in pigeon pose, I was really just trying to like feel carefully aware and not jump away and not rush and not try to narrate too much like also not get prone to the like hey body hey you're doing that thing where you're releasing trauma and good for you <laughs> you know I was like you know trying to like resist that urge as well and just stay sort of very carefully present and allow it to happen and then notice really carefully when it was time to like for that moment and for that pose like release and move into the next thing um so that um it's been really nice so because what had happened is I first started researching like pigeon pose emotional release mm. and everything you get is these articles that are like you hold emotion in your hips deep emotion is in our bodies <laughs> like you can have an emotional release. And I was, and like nobody is citing sources, which I just like I got real like uh sort of vehemently upset that everybody was stating these things as facts mm -hmm. with very little um very little research and very little um proof. Mm -hmm. Um which is not to say I understand that if I'm in a room with ten people and we're doing yoga and emotions happen. I understand like that we can make a generalized statement that like emotional releases can happen in yoga. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I was sort of um, disappointed that there wasn't a little bit more um, like rhetorical vigor when people were just making these like blanket statements about emotions being held in our bodies. <laughs> Which, you know, also, I mean, in some ways, I often um, forget that even though, like, where else would our emotions be but our bodies? Like, where else would I store them? There's not, like, a filing cabinet somewhere else <laughs> besides my body. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, so I just, I wanted, or, you know, in one of the articles, they were like, we store emotions in our cells. And I was like, which cells? <laughs> like, just tell me more. Like, I just don't feel like you're telling me enough truth. Uh, and then I, you know, that kind of led me. And I'd heard of Peter Levine before. 
and that it kind of led me to really seek him out. And I do think there's a distinction I want to make very clear. There's a distinction between emotions and trauma. <laughs> they are not the same thing. <laughs> uh, although emotion, there are emotions that are related to trauma. Um, but I, I think there maybe is like a continuum of relevance that um, when we speak about emotional release in yoga or in somatic practices, that that has something to do with the way that our bodies are a part of our system of consciousness and experience. Uh, so does Peter Levine, is he the one that also wrote the yoga and trauma book or was that a different author? Um, it's a different author here. I have them all. Uh, so he wrote the foreword to that book. So I have Overcoming Trauma Through Yoga, which mm -hmm. is by David Emerson and Elizabeth Hopper. And there's a foreword by Peter Levine and Stephen Cope, who I think I've also heard of. And also an introduction by this guy, Basil A. Vanderkolt, who wrote um, The Body Keeps the Score, which is kind of this um, book that is really groundbreaking and at the forefront of the particulars of how bodies um, process and store trauma. So I'm also really interested in his work at the moment. Um, Peter Levine wrote this book, um, Waking the Tiger, and it's and then the sub the subheading is called Healing Trauma, and then um, there's a book called In an Unspoken Voice: How the Body Releases Trauma and Restores Goodness, which I really like, and I just I want to restore goodness in this body, and also um, it's it, it feels really. Uh, preliminary but getting these resources and thinking about this process with my yoga practice is uh, like it's helping me think through that there might be ways in the future where I could integrate like becoming a trauma-informed like yoga instructor and that mm. like like it won't all be for for not, you know, <laughs> like, not that I w would wish these traumas on myself or anyone else, but in some way, like, recognizing that, like, me laying on the floor in pigeon pose and learning how to go at that pace of care um, is, is not just so that I can get better, but it might be something that then I can, like, be able to give and share. Um, with others, like from an informed place. Um, so um, that was that was some of how yoga went <laughs> this week for me. I am like in awe because I, in the like hardest times of my life, and when you know, say we'll go back to it since it's the day yeah. the breakup of my marriage happened, like. I do not do any type of healing. I do really self-destructive things like just drinking, smoking, like just staying out too late, partying, casual sex. Like I just feel like I can only really practice yoga when I'm kind of okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably because like I don't face a lot of those things 
So I just want to acknowledge how brave you are and how in awe I am because I, you know, I don't think I'd be able to do that. And maybe, maybe if I stuck with this yoga stuff for a while and actually had a regular practice, maybe it would become a way, a much more healthy way in which I dealt with, you know, bad shit that happens and different sort of emotional states and I mean for you it's not just an it's like a physical like you were in an accident so it's like not just you know with with my ex it was a lot of like emotional um abuse but nothing so much physical and but for me that's also the hardest part of yoga is the mental stuff as well um but yeah, like, but again, it's all connected, right? It's that mind body connection that, you know, I'm even just like segregating the two out saying, oh, but when I am emotional or mental stuff is happening, I can't do yoga because of the mental stuff. But it's like, you know, usually for me, when I do go back to yoga, I'm fine mentally, but maybe, you know, feeling kind of crappy physically, but I just don't think I've made enough of that link between those two you know what I'm seeing is separate ent- entities but is really the same thing of a person so but yeah I'm <laughs> I'm in awe and oh, I'm thanks. giving you a virtual hug through my Thank microphone <laughs> I, I um, that. it's super brave and god like now I'm crying and I'm not even in pigeon pose <laughs> <laughs> just in couch pose (laughs) um yeah I mean I uh you know I sometimes like I sometimes wish I could be more (laughs) 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 self-destructive that is uh Reagan's confession of the evening (laughs) or and I also think there's like uh, there's very blatant forms of, like, self-destruction. I wish my forms of self-destruction were more glamorous. <laughs> Nothing's glamorous about it No, all. no, they're not. And I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't mean they're not, or they are, you know, I just, um, but I, I do think, I mean, I'm grateful in a sense that I already have had a relationship to mm-hmm. somatic practice and to yoga and to these so that I have access to them already. Right. It's you not know? as much of a struggle as it may be for someone who has no concept of the the good it can do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if this was just your experience of yoga, like you're coming to it. And maybe this is a lot why a lot of people don't stick with it. And maybe this is also why I haven't stuck with it because I don't generally have, I haven't really had a smooth like, full couple of years or anything where I'm like yeah I'm feeling so good I'm gonna do yoga for a couple of years it's always like some crazy shit happens and I'm just a mess and can't function regularly um and that includes like you know getting out of bed having a shower going to the gym going and doing yoga um and so I'm I think that you know if there's a good message for that I'm receiving right now is that like 
let me try and do this when when things aren't great and like push not necessarily push through it but just see how that transforms and how your mind and your body are still connected through those things it's not an either or and there's probably some uh wisdom i'm sure there is this practice has been around for thousands of years some wisdom in um in not giving up when it feels really hard yeah yeah and Um, it's gonna get better it is and you're making and you're making yourself better like you're actively healing yeah, I am. I am endeavoring towards that. I'm. That's what I'm trying to do right now. Um. Yeah. Um. Should we? Uh, <laughs> should we pick a different pose for next week? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could do a pose. Or I was also thinking, like, do we read a book or pick a? style I mean oh right 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 like switch yeah. it up a little bit yeah but a pose is good let me think hmm I mean I sort of like it as a as a framework of because other things happen around it a pose yes they do <laughs> <laughs> yes they do and yeah and if we're learning the Sanskrit and Maybe even, maybe we'll even get educational. Like I said today, keep your hips pointed forward (laughs) in pigeon pose. That's how you're supposed to do it. I don't know. Maybe it can be a little bit informative. Yeah. Um, Gosh. A pose I really like. Yeah, let's do something you'd like. Is bridge. Uh Uh-huh pose so maybe that and I feel like every yoga class always has it yeah (laughs) plus it's also one that is just good to do yeah um and we haven't done a back bend yet no we have not let's stay away from the hips (laughs) yep let's go back bend let's do back bend all right we'll do bridge pose I'm going to look at the Sanskrit just to be... Alright, Satu Bandha. That's one that teachers don't often say in the Sanskrit. Yeah, it's true. Tony does. Uh, Satu Bandha Sarvangasana is the entirety, but yeah. it often gets, I think, short, shorthanded to Satu Bandha. Um, I love this pose as well. So I'm happy to make it next week's uh, pose of the week. Yay! Yay! Um, is there anything else we need to address here <laughs> on episode two? Oh, we should uh, also restate our email address to anybody who wants to be in touch with us. I'll let you do it. Oh, me. Softjawpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your experiences in pigeon pose or other poses to recommend that we do or anything else you want to say. Just send us an email. Tell us about a time that yoga made you cry. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Or horrific period stories. Or horrific yoga period stories. (laughs) Yeah.
or maybe not so horrific like you get to the point where you're like I don't care yeah there's a I didn't end up clicking on it because sometimes you just have to be done with the internet um but there uh, there was a yoga teacher recently who posted something about having had had some period blood in her yoga pants like like a period blood stain on her yoga pants and there being a picture of her out in public and the commentary and etc and disdain and blah 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 that came with that and I think her response is basically like I'm a woman I've got a body it bleeds you're in these kind of pants you put your body in different (laughs) positions like it happens you're gonna see like I I don't yeah. mean to put words in her mouth because I didn't read the piece, but that was, <laughs> the, um, that was my impression that I got from the headline and the picture, but um, maybe we'll seek that out and speak about it next week. Yes. All right. Um, um, I love you. I love you, too. Have a good night. You, too. Bye-bye. Bye.